ladies, gentlemen, and otherwise, and welcome to the Daily Brain Bleed. My name is Oscar. Whoa, hi, Oscar. My name is Grouch. <laughs> is that is that the bit we're well, doing today? I, I, you know we're what? We're doing Sesame I, Street. I, the, the audience must know that this. I was uninformed as to what would be happening, and my mind free associated. It's like I hear Oscar that then I say Grouch. I, I don't know. It just happened, and frankly, it makes me ashamed of myself that that is. Uh, the most clever thing that I could have uh, come up with, but I, I don't know why, but I wanted you to say like Bert or Ernie. Um, <laughs> but then I was like, wait, I didn't say Bert or Ernie. So that would have just been completely out of left field. It's fine. So my name is actually Jeff. My name's Tucker. And this is the daily brain bleed. As you may have guessed by now. Um, I said, my name is Oscar because I just, I have Oscars on the brain. What can I say? It is all I think about. I have it tattooed across my forehead and yeah. Yeah. No. Um, obviously this will be the last episode released before Oscars, um, next weekend. And given that so much of our show up to this point has been focused on the award season chatter, I feel like we would be remiss not to just talk about the last leg of the race such as it was. And the problem is this is going to be kind of a boring year. I, I went down all of the major betting sites and everything. Everyone has nomad land as the odds on favorite for best picture best director all that sort of thing none of the major acting races uh seem to have any sort of like there are going to be any real surprises everybody knows chadwick boseman for instance is probably going to win a posthumous oscar uh for best actor francis mcnorman probably going to win best actress for nomad land so not not a lot to talk about there honestly that wouldn't just kind of be less. Unless. Unless you want to be the contrarian in the room, play the odds, and just go and pick Dark Horse after Dark Horse and <laughs> see what you can get with that. You, you might win. You might. I want to know the person who has like passionate odds to the point where he is go- passionate of use to the point where he is going to like bet some obscene amount of money on like best sound editing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm putting the whole farm on Dogecoin. <laughs> um no. which you know yeah i guess if you're into that right no um yeah i don't know it, it's funny i i've been paying attention to oscar stuff for the past 10 plus years and uh i guess i get most of my like predictions both like right up to the race and like speculative a year beforehand from uh this website indiewire which does a lot of good compiling on award season stuff uh what did um what website honestly had a pretty good run for this sort of thing for a while was a 538 you know nate silver's joint and honestly 538 has just fallen off in recent years i think the wind just kind of fell out of everyone's sail on that front after 2016 and we'll see i get most of my predictions from uh jezebel great Ah. one uh reductress Uh um uh buzzfeed um Hmm. You know, I've, I've really got my ear to the ground in terms of the, you know, the highest class of journalism that we can get a hold of. I just lost 15 IQ points. <laughs> just <laughs> from hearing the names. Uh, but, and, and I have to say this. I think people are a little unfair to Nate Silver just in that the thing is, everyone forgets this. He, at, he thought Hillary Clinton was going to win in 2016, but he gave 
Trump better odds than pretty much any other uh, major pollster or poll aggregator or whatever the case may be. And uh, as it turned out, Trump did win. So uh, on one level, Nate Silver uh, got it less wrong than everyone else, but because he was like the public face by that point of political prognostication, everyone decided to take it out on him. And uh, now, now he, everyone left his website and he has no one to do <laughs> Oscar guesses with. And it, it's really sad. And I feel for the man. Well, I mean, I, I wasn't any great visionary at any point in the progress, but I, in the process, but I remember like early, early on in the um, candidate selection for the Republican party in the early debates and everything. And I was like, yo, Trump is like actually playing with fire right now. Like he is an incredibly viable candidate. And this is back when people didn't even want to entertain the idea. Cause he'd done several bids before I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, and just like to no real great effect, but I was like, this is something different. And I wanted to get people in my family to take a bet on me (laughs) that he would get the, the, um, Republican nomination and no one would take it. And I was just like, this is different. And you know, so I have to say, I would absolutely guessed I, I, and you know, well, there's no way to prove this, uh, to anyone now. (laughs) So it's very easy for me to say here in the year of our Lord, 2021. Oh yeah. I totally knew that Trump had a real shot. Like, okay. You can take that with, you can take that. However, you want, (laughs) but I promise it's true. But, uh, you know, here we are nowadays. So, anyway, with respect to the Oscars, there's not a lot interesting going on now, but... Uh, that sounds pretty disrespectful, the Oscars, in my opinion. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> not really. You said with respect. Okay, here we are. <laughs> no, um, no, it's interesting, um, because given all the discussion right now happening around this, uh, Fandango released this graphic that had a list of all of the actors who won the Oscar for Best Leading Actor in the 2010s, and it spurred a lot of discussion. And (laughs) honestly, I wanted to go down the list because I think there's a lot of interesting stuff, and I don't think um, it's as bad as a lot of people want to make it out to be, but there are certainly some questionable choices. Let's, Let's go down the line here, Jeff. Do you know who won in 2010 Best Actor? Um, I'm going to have to say Joe Pesci. Uh, you know, that would be, that would be great, but it was not the case. No, it was Colin Firth for the King's Speech. And I, I, I remember that movie now. I'd completely forgotten its existence until this point. Yeah. I remember seeing at the time and it was, it was solidly okay. Colin Firth did okay in the role. Um, I guess to the extent that there was any like really shining, bit of acting in that movie. I thought it was a uh, Jeffrey rush as his, uh, as his, uh, uh, speech coach, his speech therapist. But, um, he's kind of been me too since then. But speaking of me too, Oof. speaking of me too, I, I think the reason that, um, the King's speech will go down in history, if it will at all is because it was the last big award season success of the Weinstein brothers um, before Oi. everything went down with them. And yeah, no, this is a movie that came out in 2010 and it was a classic, you know, designed to be Oscar bait. Oh, yeah. These um, British actors uh, play acting uh, British royalty concerns from millions of years ago. Of course, you know, all the artists in the world are going to be uh, tr- attracted to that sort of thing. And yeah, no, it, it's actually kind of sad when you think about it that um, 
Harvey Weinstein did not firmly receive his downfall until like 2017. And again, this movie came out in 2010. The Oscars obviously were in early 2011. And that's just it because um, I think part of the reason that Harvey Weinstein was as vulnerable as he was in 2017 was because he hadn't had any huge hits in a while, either critically or commercially. He was kind of vulnerable Blood was in the water, and thus, uh, you know, there weren't a lot of people who were going to go to bat for him at that point in time in a universe where um, he had actually still been running on, like, a role of successful movies in the 2010s. Would he have been Me Too'd? I don't know. I'm a little cynical. I'm a little cynical on that. Well, I mean... Uh, it it happened. <laughs> uh, he got he got Thanos snapped out of Hollywood, and uh, you know, if this is the last good thing we got out of him, you know, I eh? uh, and would I <laughs> even say it's a good good? Thing? Eh? Uh, it was. Yeah. It was awarded. It was awarded, and Colin Firth, I guess, and you always have to stack it up against um, who who else was up that year, and um, the big competitor, to the best of my recollection, for the King's Speech in 2010 was The Social Network. And oh, that's just a better movie. I've gone on record saying that's um, not my favorite David Fincher joint, but it, it was more of the moment than everything. Than, um, and I think it aged slightly better as well, uh, frankly. Only because, like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's still in the news and everything. Well, it's because he's a robot. <laughs> and Jesse Eisenberg probably did deliver a better performance as Mark Zuckerberg than um, Colin Firth did as... King giving speech. Now, as to the truth of that movie about Zuckerberg as being a human with emotions and relatable circumstances, that is entirely untrue. I, I don't um, know. Um, it, it 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 was a pretty unflattering portrait of the man. I as I, far as I remember, I, it's been a hot minute since I honestly. It's been it's yeah, been too long. I don't know. Um, so 2011, the winner was Jean Dujardin for The Artist. A movie which I did not see, a movie which I had no desire to see at the time. It's, it was some French movie that... Um, what artist was it about? Was it like a biopic of a famous artist? It, 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 and it was... I don't know if it was based on the story of any real guy. It was... Or at least not directly. It was okay. supposed to be like a throwback to the uh, the silent era of Hollywood. I, I, I very specifically remember that this film was not only in black and white, but it was also a silent film. Maybe not literally, but there was no dialogue. And again... Sounds like a real thriller. Yeah, no. If there's anything Academy uh, voters love to reward, it's these movies that basically... Uh, suck off the film industry and you know <laughs> the the performing arts generally this is why uh birdman won uh this is why argo won sure, uh, they love sure. those sorts of movies so well fine uh 2012 this is the first time i will unambiguously say the right guy won uh, which was a uh, daniel day lewis for lincoln he played lincoln good movie he did a great job in the role. Really no complaints from my end. You know, he was so committed, he actually got shot in the back of the head. Yeah. True probably. story. Yeah, probably. Um, it was with a Nerf gun, but, <laughs> you know, he, he really wanted to, like, capture that. Um, he probably did. I mean, and now he's, like, said he's retired from acting again. Um, I don't know. He's kind of a weird guy who always comes out with these weird pronouncements that he's going to do something. And I don't know. We'll see if he actually does 
refuse to return for any more movie roles in the near future. We'll, we'll see. He, he did a lot of stage at one point, but then he's refused to do any more such parts because uh, he swore he saw his father's ghost while he was uh, delivering some sort of Shakespeare performance. So so he literally Macbethed his way out. I guess so, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a lot, Fantastic. Of, a lot of stuff going on with the guy, but hey, he's won three Oscars. <laughs> he, he has gotten his eccentric card. One for each personality living in his brain. <laughs> um, 2013, we have Matthew McConaughey for Dallas Buyers Club, and I think it was a yeah. pretty good movie, and he did fine in the role. Um, I don't know. Uh so, spoilers, Leonardo DiCaprio won for The Revenant. I think he should have won this year for uh, The Wolf of Wall Street. Better performance. Better performance. It was a way more interesting movie. He did He did great in the role. But he uh, done did say the F word too many times for the Academy. Possibly, possibly. Um, y- you know, I, I think this is probably one of those things where, um, and to be clear, I like Matthew McConaughey, and I, I heard this theory, which is probably true. It probably was the case that um, uh, first season of True Detective was playing, uh, was, you know, on TV during, you know, award so everybody season. everybody had that big hard on for Matthew McConaughey. Oh, yeah, and you know what? But see, here's the thing. He didn't even actually then go on to win the Emmy for True Detective. It's like, which he should have. Yeah, he should have. It, just in the same way that Leonardo DiCaprio should have probably won the Oscar uh, for this performance. You know, I everyone lets the politics uh, kind of cloud the fact that we should be awarding the guy who turns in the best performance in any given year. Can I also, sorry, I'm, so I'm stuck for a second here on a couple of peripheral things. So first of all, there was a line of commercials for Lincoln Automobiles featuring right. Matthew McConaughey that was some of the most uncomfortable advertisement <laughs> that I have ever had the mispleasure of consuming in my life. And then additionally, um, Matthew McConaughey has a book. I have not read the book. I have read three screen grabs from the book mm. from different people that I follow on like social media and so forth. And from those screen grabs, let me present a review. It's not good. Well, see, here's the thing. He's apparently strongly considering running for governor of Texas next Jesus year. Jesus Christ. And I think just putting the actual politics aside... I think that would be awesome. I would love, love, love to live in a world where Matthew McConaughey is the governor of Texas. Would he be running on a Democratic ticket? He, he's made his he's made his intentions unclear at this point, but given that um, Texas has an incumbent Republican governor who seems to be planning well, on running yeah, for sure. re-election next year, he, he would probably run as a Democrat. He'd probably a bit more of a... Um, a bit more of a moderate Democrat, especially on the cultural issues. Um, I don't know. I, and see, the thing is that whenever I see this post online or anything, the people who get the most mad at this prospect are these kind of these weird way too online moderate Democrats who again, are not the Bernie types. I guess they're vaguely woke, but they're mostly like, Oh, we don't need another celebrity. We don't need another celebrity ruining things. Let's just go for the people who have actual experience. And it's hard for me to take that position too seriously, given that like the boring technocrats who they claim to love so much, you know, 
the Andrew Cuomo's, the Gavin Newsom's, the Gretchen Whitmer's of the world, they they did not actually handle when when push came to shove, they did not actually handle the crisis. I think as well as they could have. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. I. It's just it's so much knee jerk Trump reactionism. It almost gives me like big um, early framers being like, no monarchy, nothing that looks like a monarchy. If you even have a king in your deck of cards, we're gonna hang you type shit. So like, yeah. Oh, oh, no, let's 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 not have a celebrity and instead have the guy who's, I don't know, part of a uh, a massively powerful uh, New York political dynasty whose brother has a show on CNN. Yeah, he's, and he, he's literally owned by a pack. Oh, you know, yeah, like that of kind course. Of yeah, he's not a celebrity, though. Sure. So he hasn't he hasn't won an Oscar. He, so. he didn't do movies, so yeah. he's a better politician, whatever. Which, I, to be fair, I disagreed with a lot of the things about the fact that, you know, like if you're going to be the president, maybe do some work. <laughs> but at the end of the day, like if you're, you know, if if you don't have a lot of political experience, but you do a good job, hey, whatever, like. Now, now lemons I, and lemonade i guess now i just miss first season true detective so much god it was so, so good it was good. literally one of the best seasons of tv I, i've ever yeah, seen. yeah i think so and here's the thing it, it's funny and i i don't mean this to be a knock against the other show but given that hbo put out uh lovecraft country a few years later i i, I, can't, I can't help but think that true detective season one was like the better actual distillation of you know Lovecraftian lore, or at least you know the vibe, the whole cosmic horror oh, thing. Yeah. Oh yeah, you know because I, I, you know, Lovecraft Country's fine, but it seems like Lovecraft meant for people who have never actually read any of his short stories or anything and just know it from like second, third hand. Pop oh yeah, it must mean Cthulhu, right? Yeah, no, like so it's, it's like, like none of the abstraction or it, distillation. It's just like kind of generic fantasy. And to be clear, they also want to talk about race with it. Fine. I, I just think that if, if you're going to it solely hoping that, oh, yeah, this is going to be good Lovecraft material, eh, I'm not sure about that. And to be fair, I feel like the cultural moment for like being able to actually kind of defensively academically have a hard on for Lovecraftian type stuff is waning. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think that's also due in part to the fact that, you know, you had stuff that did it really well, like True Detective, and then you've had a lot of people who have done it really not well. Like, I tried Lovecraft Country. I really did. I tried it, and I wanted to watch it for, you know, what they were actually trying to say, not, you know, what I wanted them to do with the material, but it just, it wasn't there, in my opinion. And see, that's the thing. It's like, the great thing about um, Cosmic Horror, when done well, is that it only suggests, kind of, the deep, dark, evil hiding behind everything. Like, we had a protagonist in True Detective who was like, uh, had a lot of mental degradation as a result of his drug use, right? So you were never sure when you did see or hear something vaguely supernatural, like, okay, was it all in this guy's head? Was it, What's going on here, right? Whereas... Lovecraft Country, monsters and everything on screen every given second. It's like, okay. Yeah, it's fine. like we are we are going to aggressively and entirely blow our wad every time you even suggest it. I will go back and say though, I think the big <laughs> the big thing I like about um Lovecraft Country is that I think the lead, Jonathan Majors, has like done a great job yeah no he did he did fantastic and and i do like that he's going to be like a marvel villain coming up so hey you know uh good for him um though with his this might also be a thing to um 
uh, cut out, but it's like, um, it, it's funny. Uh, the lead actress in the mo- in the show, uh, uh, Journey Smollett Bell. It's like everyone's doing a concerted campaign to kind of get people to forget the fact that Jussie Smollett's her brother. And uh, <laughs> okay, moving on, moving on. Uh, Whoa, this is a hyphy episode, right? Of, uh... Right? No, actually, we are relatively on topic. We, you know, this is not that many degrees removed from. Uh, Matthew McConaughey, one for uh, one for Dallas Buyers Club. We're, we're talking about, you know, one of his... Peripheral. Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, 2014, Eddie Redmayne for The Theory of Everything. Remember there was like this Glee. hot minute in Hollywood where they were desperately trying to make Eddie Redmayne happen because, I don't know, it, it's like these studio heads, it's like they see, okay, so these... These annoying online American girls who are to Britain what weebs are to Japan. They love these Anglophiles, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The worst people in the world. Uh, They love these lanky British nerdy guys like Benedict Cumberpatch and Tom Hiddleston. And uh, we're going to make we're going to make Eddie Redmayne that same thing. And I don't know. He's in Fantastic Beasts, but otherwise, has his career really gone anywhere? Which also, who cares right? about those movies, like, literally at all? Right? I don't know, man. Um, No, uh, and it's funny, because I do remember he was going up against that year, and the folks really thought he would win, uh, Michael Keaton for Birdman. And let me tell you, Michael Keaton not only should have won, but it, it is at least very... Um, satisfying to me that he's gotten a much better career resurgence in the past couple of years than um our friend eddie has he was obviously vulture in uh spider-man homecoming and he's maybe probably coming back as batman so hey i can dig it we're getting a we're getting a, another batman outside of robert pattinson batman well we, here's what's happening so two batmans Three Batmans. Three Batmans. Three Batmans. Into uh, the Batman verse. Well, see, what's happening is like, in Flash, the upcoming Flash movie, he's going to like break the multiverse, and he's going to meet multiple iterations of different characters. Like, for instance, he's it's going to start off with the Ben Affleck Batman, and my understanding is that's going to be Ben Affleck's last turn in the role, and then but then he's going to meet like the Batman from the Tim Burton movies, right? Um, as portrayed by Michael Keaton. And he's uh, going to meet all sorts of different vi- iterations of any of the characters, uh, Latina Supergirl, um, and probably other things that are uh, under wraps for right now. So I was kind of right. Kind of right, yeah, honestly. I um, will take that. I will take that. So I, it's, it's funny that um, both uh, Marvel and DC are now pushing the multiverse stuff at roughly the same point in time because it's the worst kept secret in Hollywood, I think, that um, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are coming back for the next yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Spider-Man movie. So, um, and so can we talk about the obviously hottest Spider-Man in the room? Who's that? Well, of course, Toby McGuire. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> I just want to, uh, man, we need to do a deep dive into the the OG Toby McGuire Spider-Man movies I, because holy. We should. I, I will say, though, Whew. I think I've averaged saying this once per episode, but I always have to say it again. Best Spider-Man movie, Into the Spider-Verse. And uh, I don't know. Nothing to add there just beyond. I still think that's the case. Um, the list gets less interesting out from here like obviously leonardo dicaprio won for the revenant which you know that was a lifetime achievement award for him yeah that was not (laughs) that was not actually for the revenant um casey affleck manchester by the sea i know a lot of people really like manchester by the sea i never actually saw that movie um gary oldman the darkest hour again 
a Lifetime Achievement Award. Uh, Rami Malek for Bohemian Rhapsody. I I remember seeing Bohemian Rhapsody. I know a lot of people wanted to shit on the movie, but I actually thought it was okay. Uh, I thought it was okay. I mean, I I remember in as much as so like I you know full disclosure I didn't see the entire film, but I remember um, reading interviews with. Um, actual living members of Queen who had spoken, you know, like, cause they were like somewhat tangentially involved with the film. Mm-hmm. And they'd said like when they met Raimi, Oh, I have a reminder. <laughs> um, when they met Raimi and he was like in character and he was doing a lot of character work and stuff, they said it was eerie and that they really felt like they were talking to Freddie. I do think at a certain point though, doing an impersonation of an already existing person or someone who did live at one point, especially when there's video footage and everything is kind of a dodge from actually delivering the most compelling, um, performance, um, in any given year, excuse me. Um, it's funny because yes, they were involved in the movie. And I think one might even argue that they were a little too involved in the movie to the, in such a way that they were trying to preserve their own legacies. So it wasn't maybe a true warts and all thing. It was kind of in certain ways, at least from the the perspective of other band members, kind of a sanitized version of what went down. Well, sure. And, and I remember this because before this iteration of the project took off, um, Sasha Baron Cohen was trying to do his own, a Bohemian Rhapsody movie. Uh, well, he was trying to do his own Queen movie, where he would have portrayed um, Freddie Mercury. And, That's dicey. And and um, he att- apparently meant, intended for it to be hard R, showing all the gross sex and drug stuff that you know they got involved with a, a true warts and all t- uh, type thing. And I don't know. One can argue that whether or not that would have been better, I get the sense that it probably would have been more interesting. Uh, well, sure, but I mean, as when in as much as you still have living members of Queen now, like the legality of that film ever coming to theaters is much more complicated, and, it, and it's probably why it never really happened. Oh right? yeah, you God know? no! So, I'm uh, sure he got litigated into the ground for I, that. I, I don't know exactly what went down with that, but um, I don't know. It, it, it's kind of funny that um, you know, there was some discussion, I think, as to whether it was. And this is a conversation that would not have even been had like 10 years ago, and it's probably even dicey for me to bring it up now. It's like Rami Malek being someone of Egyptian ancestry, obviously. He's American. Uh, whether it was appropriate for him to play Freddie Mercury, um, born Farouk Bosara, I believe that's how his name's pronounced. If, if not, I'm truly sorry. Um, an Indian person. Um, whether or not that was appropriate or, or maybe the controversy there was the opposite way, which was Aladdin came out at around the same time and whether it was appropriate to have an Indian actress play Jasmine. And I, you know, what do I know? I'm a white guy, but I I think it's like when you really get into granular detail of which, uh, member of one particular olive skinned, uh, ethnic group is allowed to portray another member of another group. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. This this brings up a very weird side vein of discourse that I would like to have very quickly for nobody in particular. Okay. Um, which is kind of the branding for this entire podcast. <laughs> um, so, okay. So if you remember when the Hunger Games initially came out and uh, so like, first of all, there was a massive jump in production value between the first one and then the production of Catching Fire and then the subsequent two films after that. Sure. But... 
after the initial film came out, there was some slight backlash over the fact that um, Jennifer Lawrence playing Katniss Everdeen was not olive skinned enough. Mm -hmm. And my entire thing was that was okay. So it's a American like it's it's based in like, you know, rubble America, essentially, after some type of apocalyptic world. And they're literally coal miners. Right. They're, They're Appalachian people. Well, I think, you know, it's part of that trope of like, you know, the presumption that X number of centuries or millennia from now, uh, everyone's going to be interbred to the point where like, you know, distinct races will disappear and we'll all be kind of like vaguely brown, which regardless of whether or not that will happen, the point is that's definitely a trope in science fiction. And it is it is kind of like stunning to think about how quick the shift has been in Hollywood from like around 10 years ago, you still regularly saw uh, characters of color or even actual historical people of color whitewashed for given roles. And now it's far more common to see the opposite. That is, you know, diversity added by taking a, a traditionally white character and casting an actor of color in the role. And again, uh, putting aside any value judgment on either direction. It's just interesting to me that that's, you know, how quickly that shift occurred. You know, I just, my, my entire reason for bringing it up was, it's just like, okay, real of all the things we're going to get pusty about for the first film and all of its shortcomings, we're going to talk about how she wasn't like, you know, I don't know. You didn't cast like a Balkan person or something like really, I don't know. That's Uh, what we're going to get pissed about. I don't know. I I've never been like a, big uh hunger games head so i can't i can't i can't uh really that's comment, i don't so. i don't know that's just that's my uh that's my thing for that i remembered that like brief echo chamber in uh, online history where there were like a bunch of tumblr posts circulating about how there should have been another actress and it's like you know okay i don't i don't know i don't know i just think it did the world a disservice by Thrusting Jennifer Lawrence upon us. Okay, I'm going to be real. I'm going to be real. I think that the whole initial post-fame Jennifer Lawrence thing was steering into a skid that she did not create. I think she had a couple of interviews that were meant to be personable that got memed and extricated in a way that she had to kind of continue this persona of, where's the pizza? Kind of like cringe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, ultimately, I think that since then there's been like at least kind of in the background a development of like, no, I'm actually like a whole person. Mm -hmm. And so it was, it was really unfortunate there for a couple of years though. But, but it's funny because like now, and this isn't a gendered thing. You see it with uh, guys as well. It became like a blueprint for just trying to do like the most obnoxiously, um, uh, we got to be relatable sort of content oh, yeah. for, you know, um, these celebrities when they do interviews, like how it's mandated. Your agent has a gun to your head saying, you got to say that you just like wearing sweatpants and eating pizza on Friday nights. You can't ever give people any sort of idea that you do anything glamorous. You have to seem like you are a potato at every given time. And <laughs> I, I, it's it's a weird kind of like collapse I, I think it was Sidney Poitier who said that um he didn't like to do a lot of the uh, talk shows and everything because um he said if if audiences see you too much on the weeknights they won't want to go to the theaters during the weekend to you know actually see your movies and I think we've kind of lost that at it and I, I'm not sure if that's like right anymore or not like in the most technical sense is is it helping jennifer lawrence's movies to be doing the super relatable thing i don't know but i think like just on a personal level it, it's 
it, it's cool to have, you know, at least some celebrities who still maintain a certain level of mystique. You know, you don't have to know everything about them because if that, that, eventually it leads to some sort of backlash, you know. Yeah, it's like the the closer you get without actually ever having met somebody, the weirder it becomes, in my opinion, because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I know literally everything about your daily life. What's your name? <laughs> like, that's a weird dynamic to enter into. And so I, I definitely think a little bit of that separation is totally fine and acceptable. And, you know, and, and a lot of like the Internet celebrities, I think as much as they would disclaim wanting to do this, they absolutely try to cultivate a weird parasocial relationship with their um audience which chrissy uh, teigen <laughs> we're talking to you chrissy teigen oh my god and she's back now like we thought the evil was defeated but she's like back on twitter no 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 just just turn it off just let your publicist tweet for you don't look if you have people changing your baby diaper cleaning your house you know cooking for you know just whatever you, you're not relatable i'm sorry you're not and that's okay it's okay to be rich I, I disparage, you know, like whatever, you know, whatever, you know, like we don't need to have that conversation, but like, it's okay. I get it. If I had a bunch of money, I would do the same thing. But like, I'm also not going to, you know, tweet at people who are making 30 K a year and be like, oh, we're the same. Like, no, no, we have, we, we really don't have a lot to talk about. I'm sorry. I, I will just say if anyone in the audience feels like they have some sort of weird parasocial relationship with us now, um, <laughs> You are right. We love you. And all of this content is made for you specifically. Just for you. Just yeah. for you, our special little listener. Just for you. It's uh, Now we're, we'll read you bedtime stories. I don't know, man. I don't know. Whatever people do If you If you donate to our Patreon, we will literally drive to you and, and do this podcast in your house. We don't have a Patreon. We actually have an OnlyFans, but um, and see, it's it's a big problem nowadays because OnlyFans was originally supposed to be just for anything, and now now it has a certain connotation. But you know, we 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 um we proudly maintain our safer work OnlyFans content. <laughs> uh, anyway, the last uh, best uh, best actor winner of the 2010s was. And this is a controversial choice, but I really can't see how you can argue with it. Um, Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. Uh, Why was that controversy? Well, you know, you have the on the one hand, the people who are always vaguely annoyed whenever any comic book content gets uh, recognized because they think all comic books are like and comic book based uh, material is lower art and fine. Then you have the people who... um, you know, are the same people who in 2010 rolled their eyes when people suggested that, like, video games cause mass shootings or whatever, and they wanted to start some huge moral panic surrounding Joker of, like, oh, no, this is this is bad. It's going to enable these toxic dude bros to go, like, harass people. And it's like, I, do you have a consistent position on how people, like, actually, like... Uh, media affects them or is it just case by case basis now where it's like you see stuff that you don't like and now we have to i don't know i mean i can confirm after i saw joker i danced in the bathroom to slow cello music and then entirely fabricated a girlfriend so like you know i don't know maybe maybe checkmate libs yeah um i I don't know what this deal is anymore i I really couldn't tell you it it was a good flick it's good flick, and he he did a good job like that does it need to be deeper does it need to be deeper? 
It is funny to me. That was his first um, Oscar win. And, and going back all the, and you, now this encompasses the, the, the entirety of the 2010s. Cause I can remember all the way back to 2010 where people still seriously believe that Joaquin Phoenix was going through this like mental breakdown. And then it turned out to be, Oh, it was just like his stunt for the, the, the pseudo documentary he was doing. So, you know, sure. Yeah. What are you going to do? Um, is there any like profound, um, message here to be drawn from? Like, are there any consistencies? I, Yes, I, I guess there are some people who like want to attack this from a social justice standpoint, and you are right; they are all white men. Well, I mean, uh, with Academy Award for Best Actor, they're they're all going to be men. I'm sorry, but yes, they are all white. So, yeah, I mean, I my epiphany, if anything, um, just kind of really shows me how much this doesn't matter at all. <laughs> because when I think about the film landscape of the last ten years, those films are not even kind of representative of the stuff that's really reached out and touched me as an individual, but also just the culture at large. Like, you know, I'm sorry, you know, like I, I think about, you know, some like really decade defining films and, you know, I'm, I'm going to shortlist just a couple things. I don't know that immediately jump to mind when it's like, Hey, what's a good movie you saw in the last 10 years? Uh, Pacific Rim really set a lot of stuff in motion, you know, like for, for me personally, I, I really had a good time with that movie or, you know, like, Wolf of Wall Street for a lot of people and unfortunately for a lot of dude bro masters in business type people, um, better or worse, you know, that one really did it for a lot of people. Um, you know, like it's it's way deeper than just, you know, oh, hey, who won best actor or what won West best picture, you know? Wait, I want to maybe correct myself now. and But again, this just kind of speaks to how arbitrarily we talk about race in the United States. Rami Malek is, you know... Uh, there are a lot of ethnic people who like, you know, especially Mina. No, who, that's a full stop statement. There are a lot of ethnic people. Um, you know, it, it's kind of like Schrodinger's uh, diversity in the sense it's like, is 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 Tony Shalhoub a person of color? I I, I don't know. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy. Is she a person of color? I, I, I couldn't say. Um, probably not my position, but again, I... Uh, believe me, guys, I'm for representation. I'm for diversity. But if your entire like political and ideological pro- program like thrives on categorizing every human being you can find into very specific groups, uh, probably stay, take a take a step back and like determine like where does that it, come from and and where does that go? You know, um, <laughs> Cotton Eye Joe. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> Uh, to be fair, I guess, um, Bohemian Rhapsody and Joker made a lot of money. Joker made like a billion dollars. Who saw that coming? Not Martin Scorsese. I guess not. Um, man, oh man. Um, so I don't know if I have really anything more to contribute on this topic. Um, nah, it's life's, life's bigger than award show kids. It's like, like your movies, like, like what you like. It's unless it's adult Disney. It's also, well, I, I guess technically we are adult Disney people, whether we would say it or not, because the other thing we want to talk about is the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, right? Which yeah. is technically, yeah. Disney, Disney Con- IP. We cannot escape it anymore. The mouse has got us. So the- <laughs> you won, Mr. Mouse. So we're going to talk about your stuff. We, we kiss the ring, Mickey. You happy? Um. Yeah, no. So I finally watched um, episode four and then, of course, episode five, which was streaming two days ago. Mm-hmm. And 
First, okay, so first of all, so spoilers, don't don't listen to the last 10 or 15 minutes or whatever we have left uh, if you don't want to know what happens. Uh, but holy crap, Walker just literally murking that dude on the stairs. <laughs> so good. I, I remember someone um, taking, uh, doing a good comparison thing, taking the, uh, the screen grab of him with his bloody shield and comparing it to uh, uh, Homelander and his blood-covered face from the boys. And it's like... Ooh, we got some, we got some similarities going on here now, don't we? Also, don't... give me um, Ralphie from a from a Christmas story when he's punching the other kid in the face <laughs> with the mittens. <laughs> you know this. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, I know what you're talking um, about. Um, so yeah, now you now you know kind of what I was getting at when I said that Walker is a character. It's just unavoidable. I think a lot of how people uh, fall with him really depends on how they feel about um, uh, where their politics lie, especially where their cultural politics lie. And we can tell the kind of people who would hate the guy and the kind of people who would, if not love the guy, at least rationalize what yeah. the guy does. And I mean, I think regardless of a political stance, right, like they're trying to paint him in a light of like, you made me and kind of casting some uh, disparaging ideas at the military industrial complex and how we kind of, uh, use people up while they're useful and then discard them when they get home. And that plays into Sam Wilson's uh, wheelhouse a lot as like, you know, a counselor for veterans. Mm-hmm. But um, God, if they could have made him even like 10% less sympathetic, because I mean, he just want to punch him right in his little mouth mm-hmm. all the time. More broadly, I think the big thing that came out of the fifth episode that a lot of people paid attention to is we got, um, uh, Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, uh, Julia Louise Dreyfus's character, appeared in this episode. And it's funny because Marvel came out and admitted this after the fact. This was a character originally intended to de- debut in Black Widow. and But obviously, uh, life ensued. So, um, uh, Falcon the Winter Soldier's coming out before that. So, it, it is kind of, we did kind of get a weird introduction to this character that kind of felt like you were already supposed to know who she was and what her deal was. And I think the only saving grace was this was an actress that people already kind of knew. So, you know. yeah. Um, yeah, no. Um, uh, but I think obviously what they're aiming for here is to, uh, assemble marvel's version of the suicide squad which are the thunderbolts so probably <laughs> zemo and or walker from this show probably the new black widow and or taskmaster from uh black widow the movie are going to be joining that team so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out i just can we talk culturally for like one second What's about that? suicide squad what yeah sure go ahead i just it like so. Did you see Suicide Squad? In oh, theaters? sure, sure. Yeah, it was it was bad. It was really bad. Yeah. It was really bad. It was really bad. Um, it was like almost comically bad. Honestly, uh, well, you know, it is a comic book. <laughs> ha! No, uh, ha! That, that was low hanging fruit. That really should not have even been reached. Good for. God. Um, uh, it it's funny in the aftermath of the Snyder cut, there are a lot of people saying actually the director had a much better cut in there somewhere. The Iyer cut because it's David Iyer. Uh, Air Ire, I forget how it is. It's one of those names that I've only ever seen written down. So it's like, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, um, 
Yeah, no, so I don't know about that. I do know James Gunn is doing The Suicide Squad coming out later this year, which will have a largely different set of uh, characters aside from like Harley Quinn and a few others. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. So, I mean, I just, my thing with Suicide Squad was that it just, it didn't, it didn't work on literally any angle that you wanted to view it from. The music was atrocious. The actors, like the acting, the chemistry was not even kind of there. The screenplay was bad. The cinematography was bad. Like, who was this for? I don't know. I guess there are a lot of people who like Margot Robbie as uh, Harley Quinn. I mean, just her, in it isolation. was fine. It was uh, fine. We obviously got Birds of Prey after that, which was... Better. I'm told better, but I've not seen the movie, so whatever. And they're bringing her back for uh, the new The Suicide Squad. That's how they're differentiating it. They're not calling it Suicide Squad 2 because I know a lot of people didn't like the first one. They're calling it The Suicide Squad to imply some sort of deeper difference, which I, I, the thing is, I, the whole reason they're making another one of those at all was because the movie not only made like an ungodly sum of money at the box well, office, sure. but I get the sense that it it was very merchandising friendly and you had all these uh basic humans going out and buying like Harley Quinn outfits at a hot topic for Halloween that summer and everything. It was It's big hot topic. Oh, oh bankrolling yeah. this second film. Oh, definitely. That's they want to they want that money back again. And uh with this post-COVID Halloween, they probably was a great bet. <laughs> it's going to be Fair wild. Enough. It's going to be wild. Um Buck no. wild. Exactly. Um are they getting a different Joker, please God? Or just no Joker at all? No Joker in this uh, Okay, good, good, great. New movie. In, in, in fact, the only reason this movie's happening at all is because of the fact that uh, because uh, some bad faith alt-right actors dug up some of James Gunn's edgy old tweets, they got him briefly fired from the third Guardians of the Galaxy movie, after which... Uh, Warner Brothers swooped in and they said, hey, do you want to do uh, a new Suicide Squad? And he's like, yeah, sure. And <laughs> uh, he does it. And then Disney hires him to do like a third Guardians of the Galaxy uh, anyway, to, like less than a year later. They're like, yeah, maybe this was a bad move. So it's it's funny that like he only benefited from it. You only made it. And that's how all these bad faith cancellation campaigns should end. Just like, And to be clear, if you're actually like trying to hold someone accountable for actual bad things they did fine. But if you're trying to get someone like fired over dumb tweets they did in like 2009, uh, why? Like go outside. Yes, yes, yes. I promise. Take a break from the computer. Promise you it will be all right. I promise you it'll be. But again, this is why it's bad faith. You have a lot. It's in, it's probably really edgy that I'm touching this, but it's like with uh, the whole Lindsay Ellis thing that happened recently. It's always a be, because it's always happens against uh, it's the narcissism of small differences, I think, in a lot of cases. But <laughs> I don't know. Um, That's a fun little phrase. I haven't heard that one in a while. Yeah. Um, but I think I mean, I don't, I don't have anything else worthwhile. I don't. Either. It's arguable that I haven't had anything worthwhile to say for 50 minutes now. It's, it's all good. Um, I think the moral of the story is that you should do more drugs and also um, dangerous inhalants. That will kill your brain cells. <laughs> I uh, thought the moral of the story was that it was the friends we made along the way, but I uh, guess that who, one too. Who, who will give you drugs? That's why you're a, a good friend. friend won't try to stop you. <laughs> yeah, a good. Or at the very least, we'll play babysitter while you we are. we need to stop before we enter legal liability territory. I think. Um. 
uh, all um, legal agencies, I would like to remind you that my address is. I'm not doxing myself. <laughs> Please don't dox yourself on our podcast. Thanks. My my address is one two three Main Street, and my phone number is five 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 five. My phone number is eight six seven five three zero nine. Yes, that's we, what I put whenever I'm filling out. Like, so if someone gives me a form. Especially if it's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to at myself real quick. If it's some political action thing that I really don't actually care about, but they will not leave me alone. I will straight up write false information to them. And when I got intended, yeah. When I put, um, when I get to the phone number, I always write eight, six, seven, five, three, oh, nine. It's like a little joke for me. Mm -hmm. Um, because I know they won't find it funny at all by the time they get to like, oh, it's Mickey Mouse living at 69hotmail at gmail.com. <laughs> like, they're not having a good time anymore, but. I'm enjoying myself. And again, this is the moral of the story. Give people false information. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's it. Give give canvassers false information if you don't actually care about what they're trying to get you to care about. They are probably doesn't make a difference from their end either way. Yeah, they're they're just hitting forty doors, boys. That's that's all it is. Uh, I guess this is it. Yep this is this is the podcast. This is what you signed on to listen to. Yeah. Um, my name is you're Jeff. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, Tucker, you're welcome. Bye. Have a good week. Or don't. Or do drugs. <laughs>